When I was in college at the University of Washington in the 80s, it was kind of a golden age of independent cinema and independent theaters in the area around the campus north of Seattle. I was part of a group of friends who routinely got together to see some film or another, usually some odd import. This was the age of the resurgence of big genre films, so we definitely lined up to see the first releases of, say, The Empire Strikes Back, or Aliens, or that year's Star Trek offering as well. One of the indie filmmakers who had an impact on me was Scottish director Bill Forsyth. He had a few international hits like the coming-of-age story Gregory's Girl and the quirky fish-out-of-water tale Local Hero. But unless you're my age or a film history nut, you probably haven't seen them. Forsyth's films have a special place in my heart, and today I'm going to talk about one that definitely belongs in a Christmastime category. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They're 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. The Dallas Multipass. Multipass. You know this multipass. Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time. Listen. Well, it's four o'clock on this lovely, peaceful Christmas afternoon, and this is Dickie Bud here being a very happy Christmas warm. You know, I got really sentimental after the morning show today, and I thought about poor old Steve Kelly having to come in here, spend the afternoon away from his lovely wife and happy kids. So, bachelor boy Dickie volunteered, and here I am. You know, I must be crackers. To tell you the truth, we are having a pretty good time in Metrosound today. There's definitely a party atmosphere. We've got the food, we've got the goodies, and the odd drink or two, so don't you feel too sorry for us. Welcome to the 50th episode of Celluloid Days. Now, I heard somewhere recently that the average podcast only gets to maybe 14 episodes or less. Congratulations, Jeff. You blew past that a while ago and did the same with Coffee with Jeff. No pod fading for you. Anyway, back in the late 70s or early 80s, many towns in Scotland started producing local shows, radio shows, hosted by local DJs. Film director Bill Forsyth was inspired with the germ of an idea for a film revolving around one of these local DJs. He said in an interview a few years ago, when local stations like Radio Clyde started, it was the first time we had the phenomenon of the local celebrity, famous in a radius of about 10 miles. It was soulful, a guy in his little pod broadcasting to a city in the middle of the night. It gave people a sense of local identity when they heard people on the radio who talked like them. The idea languished for a few years, as Forsyth needed more for an actual story. He'd already added a romance angle, but that still wasn't quite enough. Then along came his friend, actor Peter Capaldi, of more recent Doctor Who fame, who Forsyth had cast in an earlier film, Local Hero. Capaldi came from an ice cream family and told him about the ice cream war in Glasgow in the early 80s. 
Capaldi seemed to imply that the fighting had been over territory and who had the best ice cream, and this was the element that Forsyth's story needed. An aside here is that the real Glasgow ice cream war was a lot uglier than the rivalry depicted in Comfort and Joy. There was drug running involved and eventually a grisly murder that took years to address, but luckily this film is a much gentler tale. Forsyth's success with Local Hero gave him enough cred to get a green light for his new film, and although it never proved as successful as some of his earlier projects, it has a decent fan following to this day. The plot follows our hero, Alan Dickey Bird, a local DJ who, as the first plot point, suffers the desertion of his kleptomaniac girlfriend in the first few minutes of the movie. He spends the rest of the film mooning over her and fantasizing about her return until he sees a pretty girl in a Mr. Bunny ice cream van and literally follows her down the rabbit hole and right into our second plot point in the middle of an ice cream not-so-civil war between two families. Not only is the film about Bird's relationship with his ex-girlfriend, but Forsyth also wrote it showing the DJ's relationship with his car, a red BMW. Now he knew he wanted Bill Patterson to play Mr. Bird, but there was a hiccup. When I read the script, Bill said, this is about a man's relationship with his partner, and, but mainly with his BMW. And I had a terrible bit of news up my sleeve. I couldn't drive. Billy said, could you pretend you could drive? Could you kind of look as though? I said, oh, yeah, I mean, I know how to get a car along the road. I mean, I've tried that, but uh, I don't have a license. And I used to be sitting in the car up on Kingston Bridge or something with big Glasgow policemen in their full gear saying, how are you, Mr. Patterson? Oh, nice night, good night. What are you shooting tonight? Oh, that's the scene. Well, we've closed off that slip road there, and you'll just slip up there. And if they just turned and said to me... Um, do you have a license for this vehicle, Mr. Patterson? I could not have answered yes. I think they managed to work around that limitation just fine. I'm guessing there were some driving doubles involved, interspersed with some clever short driving moments. For a bit more behind-the-scenes fun, I recommend the short documentary film When Bill Patterson Met Bill Forsyth. It's on YouTube, and I'll put a link in the show notes. For the film's music score, Forsyth turned again to Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. Knopfler had already scored Local Hero for him, and he put together a perfect 80s light jazz soundtrack that captures the feeling of the urban landscape of the time. Speaking of soundscapes, I'd be remiss if I didn't warn you of the film's hallmark earworm, the jingle played over and over by the Mr. Bunny ice cream trucks. When Alan Bird first visits Mr. Bunny Warehouse and Truck Repair Facility, a couple of employees are hilariously recording the jingle with a tape recorder and a tiny xylophone. Now, we're decades before digital recording and home audio software at this point, and this moment gives the impression that this crew recording new cassette for each van, basically repeating the jingle over and over for 30 minutes, then flipping the tape to do it again. 
Kind of like the watermelon in the basement in Buckaroo Banzai, nobody who works there seems to think it's worth mentioning. All of the upheaval in his life prompts Bird to question his career path, and he pitches a more serious show to the radio station's general manager. The manager is more interested in flirting with his secretary than really listening to his early morning DJ, and offers help by the way of a naval analogy that doesn't really go anywhere. You know, there are things going on in this town that would make your hair curl. I ever told you about my Navy days. I used to do ship-to-ship -ship transfers, you know, preacher's boy. Just a little bucket seat away out there in the ocean. Well, there was a point, you see, when you'd be halfway between one ship and the other. And the swell sometimes would put both ships out of sight over. 15, 20 seconds. And there you'd be hanging beneath a bit of rope. And nothing all around you but angry water. You get my point? No. Bird, undaunted, borrows a tape deck and a microphone and embarks on a radio documentary about the gritty underbelly of Glasgow. We all think that we know our own place, our own town, but do we? How much do we know? Things happen around us. The other night I saw two men demolish an ice cream van with iron bars. Can you believe it? Right here, in the city. When the rival to the Mr. Bunny ice cream franchise, Mr. McCool, makes contact, things really do get serious. The Italian ice family wants to be the only game in town, hence their harassment of the Mr. Bunny guys. The patriarch, in true crime family tradition, basically press gangs Alan into acting as an intermediary between the families in an attempt to help the Mr. Bunny folks see reason. With no way for Bird to contact anybody from the Bunny franchise, he sends out a cryptic message on the radio, which alarms his co-workers. He ends up in a fender bender with the Mr. Bunny truck, and they go back to Bunny HQ. Here, Alan gets the other side of the story. McCool doesn't want an agreement. He wants total control and for the bunnies to work for him. The whole thing seems ridiculous to Bird, but he really does care about the situation. What exactly is your contribution to humanity? I want to help. But what can I do? I want to help all of you find a solution. As Alan continues to use his radio show to pass coded messages to the ice cream combatants, his boss starts to wonder if he's losing his mind. Alan, you have not been yourself lately. No, that's just the point. I wasn't myself before when you thought I was myself, but now I am myself, or very nearly. I don't follow you. The boss prohibits him from any more on-air time until he sees a psychiatrist, and he even has one ready to recommend. This precipitates a scene with the shrink, who is clearly in need of counseling himself. It's another trope, but it fits the tone pretty well in this case. Then out of nowhere, during the session, 
the psychiatrist throws out the exact same breeches buoy analogy, which Bird's boss has clearly plagiarized. I wonder if you've ever done any sailing, Mr. Bud. No. I have a little illustration that might be of some comfort. It goes back to my days in the Navy. They used to move us medicals around a great deal, ship to ship, and they had this contraption called a breeches boy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you could find yourself out there on the ocean... Hanging in a piece of rope. There's nothing else around you but the angry waters, and you're stuck between here and there. Oh, yes, I know, I know, I know. Oh, you're right, you're right. How did you know that? That's my story. Oh, I'm sorry. It's my story. It really happened to me. Where did you hear it? Oh, I don't remember. Maybe I read it in a book. No, you didn't. I haven't written in a book yet. I'm sorry. This is very upsetting. When things get really chaotic between the ice cream factions, it becomes clear that both sides have been using Alan to poke at each other. It seems like they enjoy the conflict just a wee bit too much. Now, not to be too spoilery, but our protagonist eventually works out a way to bring the families together. I'll just say one thing. Ice cream fritters. There are a few things about this film that don't quite work for me. The biggest one being Alan's girlfriend, Maddie. She's just a one-note, manipulative psycho. Seriously. I've never understood why he stayed with her at all. The power of a pretty face and a libido, I guess. Three words also. Hot, crazy matrix. Look it up. The story is also a bit tropey at times. There's poor Alan Bird seeing all the happy couples and pretty girls out Christmas shopping while he's smarting from a breakup. And here's a guy who's obviously very car proud. So you know, of course, something's going to happen to his car. That said, there are a whole raft of things that I love about this movie. The deadpan humor, for one, is right up my alley. It's a Forsyth-style thing, and it just works for me. I love how Alan carries on, even though he's heartbroken. I love his best friend, Colin, who's a total gem. I love how Alan channels his heartbreak energy into trying to fix the ice cream war situation. I also kind of love the inane jingles and song bridges on the radio. They always crack me up, and it's such an 80s radio thing. Time to get Hello! Hello! Anyway, the fun starts now because Dickie Bird is here to get you up, get you to work, or whatever it is you have to be by nine. Don't you know what they say about the early worm? What did they say? It always gets the bird. Yeah, it's the Dickie Bird early worm show. Then there's just the myriad struggles of doing voiceover work, which resonates with me for obvious reasons, in a kind of funny, cringy way. Sit tight, we'll bring you the traffic situation right now. In your car. Right now in your car. But enough of what I think. Let's see what people at Rotten Tomatoes have to say. It was kind of surprising. Critics seemed to love it, giving it a remarkable 100% fresh rating. I don't think I've ever seen a 100% before, so color me impress. The audience rating is 81%, which is still good for a film that's fairly obscure, at least here in the States. 
All the professional critic reviews are positive, of course, given its rating. Now, oddly, and we've run into this before, there are no audience reviews because Rotten Tomatoes thinks this film has not yet been released. This seems kind of like a space-time issue that needs fixed. Now, over at IMDb, we have opinions. Acciolino gives it an 8 out of 10, saying, quote, at times, the plot slows down to the point of drudgery. The script is not the wittiest, nor nearly the most clever by foresight standards. Yet by the end of the film, I felt I had seen a truly wonderful little movie. Charming, elusive, touching, like the remembrance of a Christmas wish from childhood." Unquote. Okay, fair enough. Now, Punishment Park gives a 5 out of 10 and says, quote, I was curious to finally see something by the small cult legend Bill Forsythe, but this was a small disappointment. Though the film tries to tell a sympathetic, small and humorous story, it does not fully accomplish to do so. Yes, it is small up to a point, but with the two rivaling gangs included, there is an obvious attempt at a bigger story, even if it tries to downplay this with some easy, silly twists." Unquote. Yeah, that's about what I would expect from somebody with the handle Punishment Park. He goes on from there, but it was equally inexplicable. Steve Scaft gives it a 10 out of 10, saying, quote, Comfort and Joy is a deceptive film. It begins as a story about those dim, lonely days following a breakup and turns into a fantastical tale of the dark underworld behind ice cream vendor territorial disputes. Now, how could this work? Who writes this stuff? Bill Forsyth was an exceedingly strange filmmaker. He made movies often thinly disguised as comedy, but with a heart of deep alienation and loneliness. Bill Patterson, as Alan Bird, enters into this world like someone who's been sleepwalking. He's subtle, silent, often bemused. He's like a lesson on how to create a character in the purest sense. Comfort and Joy is a very specific sort of film, and a very good one, I think. It's very possible to not enjoy it, but it is real, and that in itself is a wondrous achievement." Unquote. We need your advice, Chochim. Something is wrong with our children. They eat not, they sleep not. Their only interest is watching meaningless Earth programs on the video. What time of year is it now? Ah, oh, yes. It is early December on Earth. Close to the time of the Christmas. What is a Christmas? We have a Facebook page, and it's called, naturally, Celluloid Days. Please join us there to comment and discuss the films we cover. We're also on Twitter at celluloid underscore days. We're always looking for film suggestions, and the more strange and unusual, the better. Our email address is daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Days of Celluloid being all one word. Feel free to email us for any reason, even if it's just to say hi to Jeff. He really likes that. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you get this podcast. It will help others find the show. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week for our monthly Rift film, The Mystery Science Theater 3000 Treatment of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians.
They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Two dollars multipass. Multi-pass. Lena, uh, multi-pass. You know the small. You're stupid minds. Stupid, stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I 